that that didn't go over well but he did it on purpose he picked that in my opinion he picked that center on purpose everybody knew he was a center everybody that was he looked at him and said you're just the guy to do exactly what i want to do uh i'm going to your house <laughs> and uh he's teaching some lessons to people who have come up with a theology since the days of the prophet till now there hasn't really been anything. So they've sort of made up their own theology that's revolved around the law, not just the law of God, the laws they've made up. And uh, so their path to righteousness, what they preached and what they lived, and these were the people who were the priests, these were the people who God put there to lead the people, uh, were, they made stuff up, basically. And that, you know, if you do this, this, and that, then you can work your way to heaven. Basically, it's works. You can work, your, you know, if you're good enough, you'll go. And Well, we know fairly well that that's not possible. There is no one that's good enough. I don't care what you do. It's just not. I'll say it again. There is so very little that separates the best of us from the worst of us. Um, give them the right situation, the right set of circumstances. You know, it's when we pray, lead us not to temptation. What we're saying is, God, keep me from the things that will make me fall because they're out there. So we pick back up, and uh, Jesus goes to this uh, house to eat. And, of course, everybody's watching. He does it out in public. It's not like he snuck in. And uh, the Pharisees go up and talk to, instead of confronting him, they I guess they're trying to put a seed of doubt in the disciples' minds. And they say, you know, what's he doing? He's with sinners. So Jesus uh, responds. When Jesus heard this, he said, it's not... Is, it is not those who are healthy who need the physician, but those who are sick. Uh, Jesus makes it clear that he came to help those who knew they fell short and admit they needed help. And what do we call that? Repentance. Uh, John came to lead to make the path straight for Jesus. And what did he preach? Repentance. Jesus preached repentance. Jesus sent his disciples out to preach repentance and what we what they have done and what we have done is well they have done back then is they made repentance this a bunch of rituals that you know well i'll do this i'll do that and then that's my repentance it's not a repentance of heart it's repentance of actions uh what we've done is we've made repentance not necessary uh that grace covers everything you don't need to repent uh uh, as I said before in um, the words of Roger Daltrey, I don't need to be forgiven, um, which are the worst words that could ever be spoken by a human being. He did not come for the elect, uh, but for the lost, to seek them out and to save them. It's noteworthy that the Pharisees addressed the disciples with their questions, perhaps trying to put doubts in their minds. But Jesus, knowing what they had asked, addressed them directly and openly. And I believe what I said was, uh, go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. Did I already do this? No. Oh, no. Yes, you did that part, and then you skipped ahead. Okay. And um, it speaks to our attitudes toward those who are lost in sin. Uh, we can condemn and point them out, which I find even myself doing sometimes going into this little shark-feeding frenzy of, uh, look how evil those people are. Aren't they disgusting? You know, and just this constant, which makes yourself feel better about you. At least I'm not them. And that means nothing in the kingdom of God. 
you know, you know, I'm not Hitler, so I'm okay. That sent more people to hell than anything I could think of. Uh, Hosea 6.6, 6, I'll read it once again. For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice, and in the knowledge of God rather than offerings. And I, I do believe I spent time on this uh, talking about uh, loyalty and what that word meant. So we will pick up on 14... Wow, I had a lot of stuff on that. I spent some time on it. I'm still scrolling. Yeah, i got to get to 14. Then, okay. So he tells them their heart's wrong. What's wrong with you guys? Then the disciples of... Okay. So, he deals with the Pharisees. Then, right after the Pharisees get dealt with, the dis John's disciples show up. And that's a powerful group. John's disciples, uh, he had a pretty big following. If you put this into political ideas, just think of somebody that carries a lot of votes with them. <laughs> you know, uh, the disciples of John, you know, John's having troubles. John's disciples are coming to Jesus, which is what John wanted. Uh, John, the, the greatest words John ever spoke was, I must be less, he must be more, which is the Christian mantra. Um, so his disciples are following it, and they don't understand because Jesus isn't doing what John was doing. And we will see this in our own lives when you go from church to church sometimes. And ask him, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but you and your disciples do not? So you have one group who's trying to condemn from the law, and you have the other group who has asked a sincere question. And I'm assuming that's exactly what John's disciples are doing. Uh, because John was a guy of righteousness. He was a fire and brimstone dude. He was out there telling people, you're a sinner, repent. Um, why don't you do what we do? Uh, the, the question. Uh, Jesus doing something different uh, than them challenged what they did. That's the problem. We have fought wars between religions and denominations over why you don't do what we do. We have killed each other. I mean, this this is a core issue. This isn't a casual question. Um, you know, I once again draw to mind what we did to the Baptist. The, the, well, back then, the Anabaptist. Uh, because they didn't do what we did. Uh, we killed them. You know, hunted them down and killed them. Um, they wanted Jesus to be more like them. Because it's what they knew. To value what they valued. To worship as they worshipped. Um... All three of those things matter uh, to us. A lot of times we are, feel very uncomfortable if somebody's worshiping differently than we worship. Uh, they seem to be stressing something other than what we stress. Uh, it's noteworthy that Jesus doesn't tell them they're wrong. He, he never looks at John's disciples and says, it's because you're wrong, that's why. The reason I'm not doing what you're doing is because you're wrong. He never says it. He simply tells them why he's right. Uh, remember, Jesus just attended a feast with sinners. This question is still part of that, likely that fallout of being in the sinner's house. Uh, so this is still a continuing thing. So Scripture's putting a lot of effort into this. I mean, it's here for a reason. Uh, because this, this has never left us. This is still here. He sees something they don't. This is not the time for fasting and lamenting. That time will come. This question obviously keeps coming up. Why aren't you and your disciples more pious? Why aren't you more like us? Uh, why aren't you more religious? 
why aren't you why are you so comfortable almost i don't want to i will just say religiously flippant but not in a you know to them that's how it would have been seen uh by not doing what they're doing and valuing what they're doing it sort of insulted them like what were you saying we're wrong you know uh, no, they link John to the practices of the Pharisees. Why don't you do what John and the Pharisees do? And that's a pretty unique uh, linking because John and the Pharisees, oh, they were not they were not buddies. John was the dude that says, "What are you guys doing here, you whitewashed pig pens?" You know, he just you know he just right out in the open in front of everybody uh, attacked them. Uh, it's interesting that they were linked together by his disciples by practice. Uh, in Matthew 11, Jesus addresses it again. People who account on their piety were challenged by Jesus, his lack of it. Uh, Jesus didn't walk around, you know, being pious at all. Pious means deeply religious, devoted to a particular religion, centered around rules. Uh, well, Jesus could do whatever he wants because he wrote the rules. When they asked him about the Sabbath, he said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Whatever I do is the rule. Uh, I, I made it. I can do whatever I want with it. From Matthew, the same thing. See how important this is. Two times it gets brought up right back to back, and then again it comes up. So it makes this a really important thing because we all do it. It's all part of our lives. We've all experienced this. Uh, for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. Other people said... Jesus is coming. John said, Jesus is here. That's the difference with John. And if you're willing to accept that John himself is Elijah, who was to come in the spirit of Elijah, basically, he's doing Elijah's job. He's doing what he's doing something Elijah-esque is the best way to put it. Because it was prophesied that this would happen. And that's a bold statement. Because before he said he's not Elijah, and then he says this. He is in the spirit of Elijah. It wasn't actually Elijah. Uh, he who has ears, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace who call out to the other children and say, We played the flute for you and you do not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Uh, uh, the more easier translation is, You don't like it when we play wedding. You don't like it when we play funeral. In other words, you just complain. <laughs> And uh, their entire ministry is built on complaining about what other people are doing wrong. Um, lives revolve around it. Theologies revolve around it. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they said, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, behold, he's a gluttonous man and a drunkard. So no matter what I did, a friend of the tax collectors and sinners... Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. In other words, in the end, it all shows up. Verse 15. And Jesus said to them, this is to John's disciples who came and questioned, why aren't you doing what we do? The attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? And it's a time for celebration. Uh, the bachelor party. if The spiritual bachelor party is what's going on here. Um... But the day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Uh, Jesus has it all in perspective. 
He knows what's going to happen. He knows exactly how it's going to happen. He knows what burden and weight is going to fall on his followers when he dies. Jesus foretells his coming death. And, and don't let that slip away. I mean, he knows. And, and he knows when it's coming. And he knows what effect it's going to have on its, his followers. So, uh, and the impact it will have on his disciples. He tells them that how they, he and his disciples, act is in accordance with the ministry he brings. This is where we are now. This is exactly how we should be acting. It's appropriate and it's right. Uh, John had called people to repent for the kingdom of God was at hand. Part of repentance is fasting. Jesus saying the kingdom of God is here. The wedding feast is open. The old thing has passed away. The new thing has come. And he expands this on the next verse. The fact that he is uh, celebrating, that he's drinking, he's eating, that he's doing all these things is for a purpose. It is saying something glorious is happening. But no one puts a patch of untrunken cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and a worse tear results. Remember, Jesus is still answering their question regarding why they don't fast. Making a comparison between the old and the new, and how the new is stronger than the old, and overwhelms the old. Trying to make the new fit the old makes any differences worse. The law and grace are both here, but the law must now be seen in the light of grace. It has to be. Which is what the law was always meant to be. The law was always done out of grace and love to show you that you need grace. What is now here is not a continuation of Judaism. This is important. It's not a continuation of Judaism. It is the conclusion of it. That is really important. That is, in a way, what he's saying. And man, that's big. Who he's saying it to, but we even have to realize what's going on here when he says this. It will burst past the boundaries of Israel out into all the world. It's still not here yet, but what he's saying is, it's that time. And uh, it will burst out of the wineskin. It will do everything that it's meant to do. Uh, verse 17 he continues on it. Nor do people put new wine in an old wineskin. Otherwise, the wineskin will burst. Think of this in um, the eyes of, of God's promise to um, Abraham. Where he said, uh, your descendants will be like the sands on the shores. Uh, well, be The stars in the sky. Well, what Jesus is saying, he's saying is that time's here. It's about to burst out. It's it's here. It's that time. Um, his ministry is to finish this up. His, he came to the Jews. He said that. And he sends Paul specifically to everyone else. Because the promise to Abraham is coming to be fulfilled. And it is flowing out from the Jews to us. That's exactly what's happening. Something big is happening here. And the wine pours out, and the wineskins are ruined, but they put the new wine into fresh skins, and both are preserved. The righteousness of God through grace is now here. What the creation has been waiting for since its inception is now incurring. The law is being fulfilled by grace at this very moment. Second uh, Corinthians 5.17 uh, says, Therefore, if anyone is Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. 
New things have come. Jesus says we're celebrating it. It's here. Isaiah 50, 43, 18 through 19. Do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. That's not poetry. That's God talking about this. I will do something new. Well, he's doing it now. That thing he said he will do new. And now it will spring forth. You will not, will you not be aware of it? I will make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. I'm going to shake things up. While he was saying, the, verse 18, while he was saying these things to them, a synagogue official came and bowed down before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hands on her and she will live. So, he's just finished this whole uh, talk about something news here. Uh, I'm acting in the way that is uh, correct and appropriate to what is happening. And from the middle of that, while he's teaching on that, some dude shows up. Uh, his name's Jarius, but um, he's a synagogue official. It doesn't say what his title is, but he's somebody that everybody knows. And for him to come to ask Jesus to help him is quite a move. Uh, to be honest. Um, it takes something to do that. It takes desperation because the Pharisees were still not, uh, you know, they were condemning Jesus as much as they were listening to him. While Jesus was teaching about the new wineskin, a man shows up with two things. He shows up with two things, a problem and faith. Uh, scripture gives three accounts of Jesus raising the dead. There are three accounts in Scripture where Jesus himself Raise the dead. Not saying there weren't more. There's three that he, they tell us about. The widow's son, directly after healing the centurion's servant, then Luke 7. This account that's right here, and Lazarus. So this is a big deal. Luke gives us a little more on it. Luke 8, 40 through 42, and then 51 through 56. And Jesus returned, and the people welcomed him, for they had been waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus. He was an official in the synagogue, and he fell at Jesus' feet. For an official to fall at Jesus' feet, he was uh, causing his own problems with his own crowd. The people in the synagogue wouldn't have been happy with that. And began to implore him to come to his house, for he had, only, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him, down to 51. And he came out of the house. And did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her. But he said, stop weeping, for she has not died but is asleep. So they were already in the middle of starting the funeral uh, process. They were mourning. The people had showed up. They're doing their official lamenting and mourning. Jesus walks in and tells them, you could stop that. She's not dead. Uh, they began to laugh at him, knowing that she had died. However, he, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. Then the spirit returned, which tells us that she did die. Uh, and she got up immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given to her to eat. Her parents were amazed, and he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Remember, he only took... A couple people in there with him. He's trying to keep down the number of people who are going to spread this around. Uh, a couple of reasons that have always come up for this. One, Jesus isn't, ready, Jesus isn't quite ready to be overwhelmed yet. He also he knows what will happen if too much of what he does gets around. Remember the, remember the, the, the crowd tried to come and crown him king? 
if you remember that from scripture, and he walked away from them. He's going, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not doing that. Uh, and also, some of the things these healings were for the person. This one seems to be more to be known, uh, but he still tells them, tell no one. Well, that didn't last. Mark's account, and while he was still speaking, they came to the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? So, while he's there going to get Jesus, people from his house say, it's too late. She died. Uh, there's no reason to bring Jesus back. But Jesus, overhearing what had been spoken, said to the synagogue official, don't be afraid any longer. Only believe. And of course he's afraid. His daughter's dying. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. He entered in and said to them, Why, are you, uh, why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. Uh, but putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, uh, something in Hebrew, which is translated means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given to her to eat. Okay, that's the richness of this because those accounts are a little deeper than what Matthew gives. Well, Matthew didn't go in, by the way, if you will remember that. Um, Jesus got up, verse 19, Jesus got up and began to follow him. Jairus, he's going back to his house. This is, we're back to Matthew's account. So did his disciples. And the woman, and a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage, for 12 years, came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. Do, do you see what's going I mean, this is just bam, bam. There's these teachings, these powerful teachings. Then there's this guy comes. And then when he's walking to the house to heal the girl, some woman walks up behind him who, who's just been bleeding for 12 years. Nobody can fix her. And she touches the fringe of his coat. On his way to raise the 12-year-old girl, Jesus encounters a woman who had been afflicted for 12 years. She had suffered since the time that that child had been born. Remember, the child's 12 years old. She had been suffering for 12 years. So she had been suffering since that child was born that Jesus was going to heal. She works through the crowd trying to touch Jesus' garment, believing that to be enough to heal her. For she was saying to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be well. Once again, there's the faith. Touching Jesus' garment instead of touching Jesus was implications of the law. Uh, when Jesus, uh, Leviticus fifteen nineteen, when a woman has a discharge, if her discharge in her body is blood, she shall continue in her menstrual uh, impurity for seven days, and whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. So, uh, she crawls, fights her way through the crowd, and respectful of the law, touches Jesus's coat, not touching Jesus, because the law says if she touches him, Jesus is unclean for seven days. Uh, Jesus turning and seeing her says, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. All she did was touch her coat. And he knows what's going on. He knows who she is. He knows what her problem is. And he knows what he's going to do for her. At once, the woman was made well. One can imagine uh, that this event had on the, the impact this faith, on the faith of Jairus. Jairus is with him and sees this happen. On the way to 
go to his daughter, who he's told is dead. A woman comes up behind Jesus, touches his coat, and is healed of a 12-year ailment. So, if you're Jairus, this has to lift your faith a bit. Another connection is made between faith and the response of God. Faith is the commodity of the value of the kingdom of God. Faith is the instrument, not the cause. It was, this is important, it was Jesus who healed her, not faith. Uh, there's a large group out there who believe that faith in and of itself is the power that does this. And that is incorrect. Uh, a large part of faith is knowing this. Faith is not a sword you can wield to do what you want, to have your, you know, to get your will accomplished. Uh, faith is the thing that allows you to do what God wants you to do. But it is Jesus Christ who does the healing, not your faith. It's him, not you. Luke eight forty three through 48. And the woman who had been hemorrhaging for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. So that's the other one. And Jesus said, who has touched my cloak? See, it's a little richer here. He knows his clothes, his, he's been touched. He knows someone has been healed. But this one says, who touched me? And I'm sure he knew, but he wanted to, he's having, everybody needs to see this. Jarius needs to see this. And while they're all denying it, of course, every, Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? It was not me, because they figure somebody's in trouble. You know? So, ooh, who touched Jesus? Uh-oh, you're in trouble. And so they're all going, wasn't me, <laughs> wasn't me. And Peter said, Master, the people are crowded and pressing on you. Jesus said, someone did touch me, for I was aware the power had gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she touched him and how she had been immediately healed. See, all this has to happen. All this has to be said for, so that everyone knows what happened. She just didn't get healed and then walk away. Everybody in that crowd that's going with them to see what Jesus does for this little girl is seeing this. It gets explained. It gets drawn out in front of everybody. Jesus knows what he's doing. And this really helps Jarius. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So everybody thought Jesus was going to yell at somebody, and he basically said, Hey, you've done good. Um, let me see where I'm at. Oh, good. Um, when Jesus came to the official's house, he saw the flute players in the crowd in noisy disorder. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen um, Middle Eastern uh, responses to death. The wailing and the gnashing of teeth, the uh, public displays uh, through groaning and moaning. And, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, they don't hide their emotion. It, it is right out there. Well, it became an official way of doing it. They actually had bands and players that came and helped you do that. Uh, the rituals of mourning had already officially begun. He said, leave. <laughs> For the girl has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. Not saying she didn't die, but indicating that her condition was temporary, like sleep. She would soon wake up. If she didn't really die, then Jesus did not raise her from the dead, and there was no miracle. But when the crowd had been sent out, he entered and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. This news, and here's the port, this news spread throughout all the land. Not just there, it went north, it went south, because so many people saw it. 
and uh, you know, right after the teachings of you know Jesus Christ and His authority over things, uh, over spiritual things, then the healing of the woman in front of everybody on His way to heal the girl, and then this is all seen by everybody. Remember, in Luke and Mark, Jesus told James, John, Peter, and his parents, those who saw what actually happened in that room, not to tell anyone. However, the people of that house knew she had died and that now she was alive. So, Jesus tells those five people not to say anything, but then verse 26 says, the news spread through all the land. So, even if they didn't say anything, everybody knew the girl was dead. And now everybody knows the girl's alive. And what they know is Jesus went in that room, and when he came out, the girl was alive. That's really all they need. They must have been looking in the windows. Uh, or however, <laughs> exactly. Somebody told somebody because the news spread throughout all the land. The spreading news was the reason for many of the miracles Jesus performed. They were the divine stamp of approval on the words of Jesus and for his disciples after him. They remained as proof of their teaching, teachings until that which is perfect came, the word of God. Uh, the miracles were extremely important. Uh, they validated the words of Jesus. They validated that he was the Son of God. Uh, time and time again it was said, remember uh, the man born blind, and they questioned him and said, you know, he said, well, why don't you know? He said, as far as I know, this has never been done anywhere by anyone, you know, that a man born blind was healed. And he says that to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are saying, are you teaching us? He goes, well, you're stupid, basically is what he said. Because honestly, doesn't the, doesn't the fact that he did that this is a, a beggar telling the, the religious leaders, doesn't the fact that he healed me prove that he's the son, who, who he says he is, he's the son of God? Doesn't it prove it? Because it's never been done before. So, The divine strategy for delivering the good news. Send someone to prepare the way. Live without blame. Address what is wrong, but is accepted as right. <laughs> Jesus came here. And he started to go after everything they were doing wrong since the prophets. That time since the prophets ended, and now they had concocted a religion that wasn't what God wanted. And he went right after it, as did John. Perform miracles to validate the spoken words. Prepare and empower followers to take over once he was gone and to record the events. There's a plan here, and he's doing it all. And the fact that it worked, because it's 2,000 years later, we're thousands of miles away, and we're talking about it. Uh, sacrificial life, uh, prove the power over death, and then send the Spirit to God believers. That is the mission, the purpose, and the ministry of Jesus Christ in one paragraph. From birth to resurrection, fulfill all prophecies about the Messiah. Uh, that is it. That is the whole thing. And as we read, we're seeing these things happen. Jesus went out from there, two blind men following him, crying out, Have mercy on us, Son of God. I hope you're seeing this. Ba -bum, ba -bum, ba -bum. It's happening one right after the other. In Matthew 20, two blind men yelled out the same thing as Jesus walked by, and Jesus healed them. This, is, this happens again. Almost the exact same thing. The title Son of David makes reference to the messianic line of Jesus, so the fact that these two blind men are calling him that means something. Son of David means something. It's noted in the first verse of this gospel, uh, Matthew 1.1, the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
So they're calling it out. From Jairus' house to where Jesus was staying, these two blind men follow along, calling out to Jesus the entire way. I assume the crowd was slightly annoyed on his way to Jairus' house and on his way from it, he heals people. So going to and coming from the raising from the dead, he's healing people. They were persistent, and that is a sign of faith. Remember, these blind men had to find their way back home. And the further they went, the harder for that would become for them. You know, we, we don't think about those little things. Jesus is walking from where Jairus' house is, and he's going back to where he's staying. And we don't have any idea how long that is or how far away that is. Uh, but these blind guys, uh, they don't live where Jesus is going. They live where Jesus was. They got to get their way back home. They're blind. Uh, you know, I that cannot be an easy thing. They just kept walking. They didn't care. When he entered the house, the blind men came up to him, and Jesus said to them, "Do you believe that I am able to do this?" And they said to him, "Yes, Lord." It seemed obvious that they believed, as they followed Jesus, crying out to him to be merciful. The question was publicly asked, so it could be publicly answered. Do you have faith in me? Um, once again, it's not the faith, it's who the faith is in. Once again, showing the importance of faith in the kingdom in one instance after another. Uh, you, you realize that this question came up in almost every one of these, in all these healings in a row about faith. They called out, uh, they called Jesus, oh, and by the way, they did call Jesus Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, It shall be done to you according to your faith. Note that Jesus healed the centurion's servant without touching. He also healed the woman who simply touched his coat. But in many of these cases, Jesus touches the one he heals. No doubt that it was him who did the healing. So people could see, I touched him, and as soon as I touched him, he got better. You know, he's eliminating doubt from the people who are seeing. The, the blind guys don't have any doubts. It's the people who are watching. This is all validating who he is. Uh, verse 30. And their eyes were open, and Jesus sternly warned them. See to it that no one knows about this. He does this in a house. They came in the house. I mean, this isn't out in the public with that huge crowd that's following him around. Remember, Jesus healed people to authenticate his words and claims that it's possible that he didn't want to become... A healing sideshow where people sat through his message just to get to the good part. Well, the message was the good part. The message uh, was what this was all about. Jesus came primarily for spiritual healing, not physical. But we always want to see, we always want to use him for what we desire the most. Jesus often tried to control the size of the crowds following him simply by getting to a boat and rowing to another spot. Remember, this was done in the house. At this point, only those in the house knew what happened. Jesus wanted to keep it that way. It says that Jesus sternly warned them to keep it quiet. They didn't listen. But they, but they went out and spread the news about him throughout all the land. And everybody knows these guys were blind. They left the house and began to tell everyone there. And then they went out from there and began to tell everyone they met as they traveled back to wherever they lived. As they were going out, man, this is just one after the other. After this, just this long time of the power of God not being shown publicly, displayed publicly, all the way back to the prophets, 
man, it's just exploding. So after that guy's healed, as they were going on, I mean, as they're leaving, a mute, demon-possessed man was brought to him. He was brought to him, indicating that others uh, played a hand in his meeting with Jesus. There were people who cared about him. Uh, there were people who were concerned, who, who had uh, no hope other than Jesus Christ. The faith of others impacted this man's life. Trust me, that's really important. The faith of somebody else changed this man's life. It, it doesn't say that Jesus cast him out. It says after the demon was cast out, <laughs> the mute man spoke. And the crowds were amazed and they were saying, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Does not give the account of the deliverance, but picks up after the demon was cast out. The point is the impact that Jesus was having on the crowd. Boom, 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 boom. Uh, as he traveled from place to place, they were amazed and they realized they were seeing something very special in human history. And, and most of these people had seen the whole thing. They had seen, uh, they had heard what he said to John's disciples. They had heard what he said to the Hey, something new's here. Okay, he tells them something new is here. We're celebrating, and then after he teaches that to the Pharisees and to John's disciples, he goes. He heals the woman on the way to uh, just by touching his garment. Then he heal, raises Jairus's daughter from the dead, and what was the, what was the very next one? Uh, anyway, there's like four in a row. After he says something new's here, then he goes and does something new to prove it. And what do they say? Nothing like this has ever been done in Israel, which tells you what? It's new. And this goes all the way back to his new, the wineskin and the teaching about why I'm eating right now, why we're drinking wine, why I'm here with these people. Um, there's something to it. I mean, it's it just wasn't, Jesus just didn't want to party. I mean, there's theological meaning behind this. Because what John was doing was right. Uh, John, the way he was living and acting is how John was supposed to live and act. John was a Nazarite, and he needed to live like a Nazarite. Uh, oh, we must quit because the battery's running out. I've pre I've talked to the end of the battery on the computer. That's a new one for me. Uh, let me finish up with this verse. Uh, they were amazed and realized they were seeing something special in human history. This event also gives us a clear look at the difference in attitudes between the crowd and the Pharisees. Uh, just because God's doing something amazing doesn't mean everybody's going to be happy. In Jesus' own words, I came, I fed the hungry, I've uh, ministered to the poor, I've healed the sick, I've cast out demons. For which one of these things are you going to kill me? And they did. They, he, they killed him for doing all of them. So we'll pick up there on verse 34 next time. Let me write that down. Any questions, comments, criticisms? Matthew leaves me out of breath. Oh, man. I mean, you can see why he called Matthew. You know, And once again, I will go, boy, I hate to keep doing it, beat that drum. But um, seeing it on the, um, the Chosen gives me a whole new perspective on this. It, it does. It just brings this to life to me. Um, they were people, you know. <laughs> They're not a caricature. They're people, and uh, and I'm not saying that they nailed it perfectly, but I'm just saying they make you think that. So, 
So verse 34, we'll pick up there next week. Anything else? Anything you guys want to say? No, do, anything like that? If not, let's pray before the battery dies. Lord, we come before you and I thank you for your word. As always, uh, we ask that it find a home in our hearts and change us. And when it does change us, Lord, that we could be your light in this world. Watch over my brothers and sisters. Make them strong, wise, brave, and compassionate. Help them to glorify your name in what they think, what they do, and what they say. In Jesus' name, amen.